Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Abraham believed God and it pleased the Lord. And I got to say this because I believe most Christians, if you're a Christian, you want to please the Lord with your life. You want to, you want to, I want to do something to please God. Do you know what pleases God when we trust him? When we believe in the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I can't please God in unbelief. I can't please God in self-righteous behavior. But God says, when you trust me, that pleases me. Outside of your intimate family, most relationships require you to do something for the other person to be pleased with you. Your boss expects you to do your work. Your teacher is looking for effort and diligence in the classroom. If you're not careful, you can begin to think that God needs your good deeds in order to be pleased as well. Pastor Bill teaches us today, though, that the basis of pleasing God can't come from deeds. He simply asks for your trust. Your deeds have to be based on faith in God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 4 as he begins his message, Your Money is No Good Here. Father, we ask that as we prepare to study, to read Romans chapter 4, God, I pray that you would open your word up to us. That God, you would speak to us, Lord. I pray we would understand as we go through this chapter the significance of what you did and what you have made available. How important it is, Lord, that we put our faith and trust and belief in you apart from anything that we can do ourselves. That God, we might enjoy the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray you'd anoint the teaching of your word. I pray you'd bind the enemy that blinds and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to comprehend what you want to share with each of us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want you to consider this right before we get into this. For those, and I think it's part of human nature, that we like to work. We We want to feel like we've earned something. And if we carry that into our spiritual life, it could be a negative thing. Most people want to feel like, you know, I, I got this. I did this. I worked for this. I earned this. You know, there really isn't any victory in just having something handed to you. You know, if you play a sport, you don't want to just have somebody, say, you, you, I just let you win. <laughs> you know, you want to win. You want to beat them. You want to accomplish it. You know, you want to have earned your victory because then I earned it. You know, now you can have a little pride in it. I beat you while you was trying to beat me. You know, there really is no success in beating someone that just laid down and said, go ahead, I'm going to let you win today. You know, and so we can carry that over in our spiritual life where it's like, no, God, I want to I want to have earned. I want to have something to do with it. And God says, this will be the one area that you can't have anything to do with your salvation. I don't always title message. This is what just kept coming to my mind as I was preparing and reading over Romans chapter four. I wrote down your money is no good here. And uh, I want you to consider that. Right. If um, for anybody that's ever gone out with someone, they wanted to treat you and your your money is no good here. That basically I'm not taking your money. You can't use it. It's no good here. I'm taking care of this. Spiritually speaking, that's what God would say to each one of us. Not your money, but your your works, your offering, what you can bring. God's is no good here. Not not for salvation. Everything that you need to be saved is going to flow through me. And I'm going to be the one to get all the glory and the credit. You're going to be a recipient of the greatest gift ever given from the living God. And we just want to become good receivers. Anybody know somebody that's a good giver, but a bad receiver? 
Anybody know people like that? They, they give you stuff, but you try to get, nope, nope, nope. You can't buy them a coffee because, you know, they always got to do be the one to give it. Some people are good givers, but they're not good recipients. They don't, some people are only recipients. They <laughs> never given nothing. We may know more people like that, you know, but God wants us to be a good receiver, a good recipient of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So Romans chapter four, the first word in chapter four is what shall we say then? When I took, it's coming right off of chapter 3, verse 31, where he said, do we make void the law through faith? He says, certainly not. But to the contrary, we establish all. We don't, the law has not gone away. We've just established the law through what Christ has done. So verse four, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. But Paul does right here in the beginning, he pulls out for the Jewish people, the person that they would have looked up to the highest. He takes Abraham as an example and he's going to use Abraham. And this is what he's going to, I'm going to read it, but this is basically what he's going to say. When was Abraham justified by faith? Because Abraham did some pretty amazing things. Abraham believed God, the Bible says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what we know what he did to be, to be made righteous. He believed God, but he did some amazing things. Abraham was the one that, you know, he had some mistakes too, but he trusted God for a son that was a a miraculous son. He had this son. When God told him to take this son up and offer him as a sacrifice, he didn't skip a beat. He went up and did, he went up to go do what God told him to go up and do. There's some pretty amazing things that he did and he accomplished. And I just want to point out that it wasn't after any of those things that God said. Now, now that I know that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, now he's been made righteous. It's not that. It was when he believed. And so many times we can look at, you know, I know if I have a really good week. Some of you guys, maybe you do a great week. Maybe you read every day. You do your you do your Bible reading faithfully all week. You pray for people. You're even witnessing through the week. And if there's something that you need God to do, you kind of feel like, I mean, this week. I think God ought to really come because I, I really I'm at like a 10 in the spirit this week. I think whatever I pray for, I ought to receive it. And some people think that that's how it works with the Lord. When I'm really good, God is supposed to hook me up. And then when I'm bad, that's when, you know, I know God not going to do anything for me this week because I've messed up. And some people, they, their whole walk with the Lord, it ebbs and flows off of how they're doing because they don't understand grace. It goes up and down based on how they're doing in the relationship. You're in a relationship with the Lord. And many times we judge it by how we're doing. I did really good this week. Therefore, they should be really good to me. Can I give you guys something really awesome? What does God use as an illustration of his relationship with the church in the Bible? Anybody know? Marriage, Marriage, right? And when God tells the husband, in the marriage relationship, the husband is representative of Christ, right? God tells the husband, I want you to, because it's a picture of Christ in the church. He says, I want you to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And I want you to consider that Christ loved the church when the church didn't love him, when the church didn't seek him, when we weren't loving him, weren't obeying him, had no heart for him. He loved us then. And God says, now, husbands, love her like that. Love her, period. Just love her for nothing. When she's having her worst day, love her. When she got a bad attitude, love her. When she ran all the cards up, love her. You know, God, just no matter what, you just love her, period. Like, that's how I love you guys. So I got to take that mentality into my walk with the Lord. God, I love you, period. I'm, I'm the bride when it comes to my relationship with the Lord. And God says, Bill, I love you, period. I love you on your worst day. 
I love you when you're doing good. I love you when you're doing bad. I love you when you're faithful. I love when you're not faithful. He loves me, period. And so as we look at this in Romans, for the Jewish mind, this is hard to comprehend because they're a religious people. They've had all these years of being under the law where they were doing rules and regulations and keeping commandments and, or trying to in order to be right with God. And then God comes and says, OK, now, after all those years, the law should have shown you one thing that you can't do it. You should be clear at this point that you can't keep the law. And now I'm making something available to you to where you don't need it anymore. Someone kept the law for you and they're offering you their forgiveness by faith in them. But you know what happens to religious people? And can I tell you, because it happens in the church is religious people, just like those Jews who are being told, you guys, you guys ain't never kept the law anyway. They're like, yes, we did. They would argue that, no, we're keeping the law. But we know that nobody's ever kept the law because God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody ever kept the whole law. Anybody ever told you I live by the Ten Commandments? Just tell them you lied right now. You just broke, you just broke the commandment. You ain't kept the Ten Commandments, you know? Nobody has ever perfectly kept the Ten Commandments. It's impossible. That's what God gave it to us. Not that we could keep them. God gave it to us to make us hungry for what Jesus was going to bring. That I would try to keep the law and try to obey to find out that, man, I can't do it. I need help. And God show up and say, I got your help. Jesus, God, the son went to heaven. He left heaven, came to earth, kept the law perfectly on your behalf. You put your faith in him. He'll take your stinky, wretched, miserable, sinful life and he'll die on the cross in your place. He'll take his perfect, holy, sinless life and apply it to you. You go free. He died. Your sins have been paid for. You go free. Now you have the opportunity to walk with God. Know you're going to heaven and know your sins are forgiven. Your conscience is clear. Who don't want that deal? That's what God is making available to us. But for some people, they want to feel like they still have something to do with it. Before I go further, because there are church denominations that want to have something to do with it. So I'm not trying to be messy, but I'm a shepherd and I want to protect you guys from the foolishness that is out there, even among Christian denominations and churches. So what do you need to do? To, what did Abraham do to be justified? He believed God. We're going to read all about it. What do you need to do to be saved? What do you guys need to do? You need to believe God. You need to believe you need to trust in Jesus. That's it, right? There are churches that add to that. You got to believe what Jesus died on the cross, rose in the grave, and it's everything that comes after that. It's, 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 if it's and, then you got to come be baptized. That's not the gospel. That's another gospel. Baptism is, a, is, is something that I do because I'm saved. I'm saved, and now I'm going to identify with Christ outwardly. Every Christian should be water baptized, but you ain't saved by baptism. Right. I mean, if that were the case, I would just start baptizing people. I'll walk around and just just I'll be going to pools and everybody just I'll just baptize them against they will. You know, well, bam, you know, everybody's saved. You know, baptism won't save you. If you go to the waters of baptism unsaved, you just wet. That's it. You might as well go swimming. So but there are denominations that say you got to have that. You got to be baptized. You got to have Christian experience. You got to come up with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Another thing that could happen after you're saved, but it's not an evidence. It's not something you do for salvation. There are groups that go beyond that. You got to believe. You got to do this, that, and the other. You got to believe, you guys. That's it. Paul said in Galatians to the Galatian church who had got saved through Paul's ministry by grace through faith. Then the Judaizers came in and, and had them believing that they needed to also add the work of circumcision. And Paul came back and said, who bewitched you? Who bamboozled you? That's I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He said, who bewitched you? That you guys would go and believe something else. He says, 
any other gospel than the one I preach to you. He says, anybody comes and preaches to you another gospel other than the one I preach. Paul said, let them be accursed. In the Greek, it's the Greek word anathema, which means damned to hell. Let them be damned to hell for preaching to you a gospel that's not the gospel. Right. When you add something to the work of what Jesus did on the cross, just if we could just hone in on that for a moment. Like God left heaven, you guys, for me and you, because we were so bad, came to earth, did what we couldn't do, suffered, was accused and ended up on the cross on my behalf. That was the work for salvation. He was the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb of God, take away the sins of the world, died in my place. If I look to that and say, that's almost enough. I mean, I'm so that's so close. I need all of that, Jesus, and then I got to add something to it, too. That's like a slap in the face. That's like saying, God, that, that's what you did is not enough. You died. Three days later, you rose from the grave, just defeated death, defeated Satan, conquered the grave. And that's not enough. I got to add my little baptism. I got to add my little work, my little this, my little that. We want to be good recipients of that gift that comes from the cross. That's the amazing thing for the believer. I'm receiving something great. I'm not great. But I'm receiving something great. My God is great. And I'm just a recipient. I, I'm receiving the best gift ever. And it's available to everybody. If it becomes something I got to do, you know, the uh, most religions have really heavy things you got to do because, you know, man want to feel right. If you're Jehovah's Witness, you got to go door to door. Con- what are they? What are Jehovah's Witnesses proud about? They're witnessing because they get their witness on. They out in front of Winchell's Donuts, liquor stores, and they at your door. And they feel good about that. They feel better than you because we witness more than you guys. Where are you at? Why aren't you out here witnessing? Because I ain't got to work for mine. Mine is paid for. I'll be sleeping in today. God bless you. <laughs> you know, the Mormons, they on their bikes running around every because they're working for. They don't even know for sure that they're going to be saved. They're working for it. If you're a Muslim, fasting constantly, you know, Ramadan, no pig, no bacon, no this, no that, all these different rules and regulations. Only pray facing this way as, oh, God can't hear you if you face the wrong way. You know, just all these rules and regulations to be right and to be a little bit better than those that aren't doing. What, we, what the Christian comes and says is, I'm really messed up. God is really awesome. And he gifted me salvation. I don't get to boast. I don't get to be anything other than a recipient, right? If I'm Muslim, I fast, I do this, I do that. I could, do you do it? You don't do it, I do it. Right? If I'm Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm going door to door. I witness. You're not witnessing. No. For the Christian, I'm really a jacked up person, sinner, lost. God forgave me. Amen. Glory. That's our story. It doesn't leave anything for us to boast in. But man wants so bad. Have something. I want something to be proud of. Be proud of Jesus. Be proud of that. Be glad that, that God has done that for you. Amen. And so look on verse um, three. He says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The word believed here, it means it means to think something to be true, to be confident in, to trust, to have faith in. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He had faith in what God said. He believed God. And the Bible says in that his belief in God, that was accounted to him for right. He just believed what God said. Um, If you're looking for the reference that was in Genesis Chapter 15, verse 6, where God spoke to Abraham, gave Abraham some instruction. Abraham believed God. He believed what God said. And God said, that's all I need you to do is believe me. I I need you before any work, before anything that you're going to do. 
Abraham believed God and it pleased the Lord. And I got to say this because I believe most Christians, if you're a Christian, you want to please the Lord with your life. You want to. You want to. I want to do something to please God. Do you know what pleases God when we trust him? When we believe in the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I can't please God in unbelief. I can't please God in self-righteous behavior. But God says, when you trust me, that pleases me. When you just trust what I say, when you believe in me. Now, this is for salvation, right? Now, in one sense, I'm putting down works, but I don't want to put down works altogether. I'm putting down the ideal of working to attain a right standing with God. Those that have a right standing with God will work. But we don't work that be so that God will save us. We work for God because he has saved us. It's a different thing. I'm not working to gain favor with God. I'm willing to work because of what God has already done. I'm saying God has been so good to me. When I was lost, he found me. When I was in sin, he forgave me. I continues to have mercy upon me. He gave me a spirit. He's given me gifts. He gave me all these different things. And now, I mean, I'm glad to work for the Lord. I'm glad to serve God. I'm not serving him so that he will. I'm glad to serve God because of what he's already done. And that's the way it works for the believer. We're not earning anything. We're just saying, God, I'm, I'm so grateful for what's already been done. I'd love to work for you. I love to be on your team. I love to tell some people about you. I love to preach your word to somebody. Whatever I could do, would love to do it. And so that's the heart of the believer. So Abraham believed God and that was accounted. That, that's a, it's a banking term. It was, when it says it was accounted to him for righteousness, his belief in God put righteousness in his account. God said, that, that's, what, that's what you needed. You believed and now I put my righteousness in your account. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So he uses Abraham as an example. And then look at verses four and five. It says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So we get a comparison for the person that says, I'm going to work for mine. God says, then you stay in debt. You remain in debt. You, you owe a debt that you cannot pay. And because you're deciding to work for it, you just further in debt. So everybody here knows that we had a sin debt, right? Our sins equal death. The wages of sin is death. And none of us want to pay that cost because it's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's separation from God for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. That's the debt that we owe. It's an insurmountable debt. Every human being comes into the world born in sin. As soon as you could, you started sinning. When you were a little bitty cute kid, you were sinning. And you were sinning in kindergarten and in first grade. And you've grown up and you're still sinning. You're better at it now. So we've been sinning for a long time. And so we got a debt. If God were to just say, man, if, if I mean, can I work it off? Can I start working off my, you'll never pay it off? It's an insurmountable debt. That's what you owe. So God says, look, I, I'll take care of your debt. For the person that says, I've already amassed this, this huge debt of sin. Now I'm going to start working. God says, you go ahead and work. You can be in debt. You, you just remain in debt. Even worse than that, there's another sin, the sin of unbelief. The sin of not receiving. The sin of not believing in me. You're in debt already and it's just getting worse. That's what you got to consider. When you see the Jehovah's Witness at your door... When you see the Mormon on their bike, when you got the, the, their Muslim friend, all these people, they're in debt. There needs to be a heart of compassion and some mercy and at least try to witness to them. Don't write them off. Don't say, oh, they never listen anyway. Just say something. I'm, I'm a, 
I try to make it a point. I'm going to just say something anyway. They don't appreciate it all the time. They don't always agree, but at least I'm going to say something. They're in debt. They're in a terrible place. You know, some people are in financial debt and it weighs on them because they know they're in financial debt. But spiritual debt is far worse and people are ignorant of the fact that they're in it. And so God uses us many times to point that out for them. Hey, do you know your condition before God? Do you know that this is where you really stand? And trying to help people to come to those conclusions. So God says for him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, further in debt. But then in verse five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. And I want to point that out. We believe on him who justifies the ungodly. That's us. We're the ungodly. Maybe you don't think you're that bad. Maybe you don't think you're the ungodly. But y'all know I love you. I love you. I love myself too. And I'm telling y'all, we are the ungodly. We are, we're this group. He says, but we believe on him who justifies the ungodly. That's why come there are going to be people that are shocked when you get to heaven and see who made it. He made it? I, he could be saved. You know, there, there, there are people that you'd be astounded that because hey, God justifies the ungodly. There are going to be some terrible people on earth that break through heaven. They knew they were terrible. There's some people that in prison had time. They said, man, they got time. They had Bibles. There are people that have been saved in prison on death row. I remember watching a documentary of, I believe it was Jeffrey Dahmer. One of those guys that was a serial, you know, he raped and cut bodies and did all kind of weird stuff. And then went to prison, had, was going to, you know, go to the, the, the electric chair or whatever, but got saved. And uh, James Dobson went into the prison and interviewed him. And I thought, I want to hear what this dude got to say, you know. And I sat there and listened to this man, and I'm like, dude, he is saved. I mean, you know, you listen to somebody, and you're listening, you're saying, he's received the gospel. What he's sharing, he says, I know what I did was wrong. He explained his childhood and where he got introduced to perversion and pornography and where it entered into his heart and how he got down so far, where he ended up at. And he explained his conversion experience, how the Lord met him in prison and showed him what he was and how he had a hard time accepting it, but he got to the point where he had received it and believed. And he said, now I just know, I know I'm going to pay for my sins. I, I deserve to die for it. I'm not trying to get out of it. I won't appeal it, but I know I'm going to heaven. The lady interviewing him, she almost couldn't stand the thought that this man could think that he would go to heaven after what he did. But I'm sitting there understanding the gospel saying, I mean, that's the God we serve. Right now, I look at Jeffrey Dahmer and say, if he can make it, <laughs> I mean, I ain't mad. I mean, I'm saying if he can make it, they, we good. You know, they, we, we all got hope. You know, I, I don't look at him and say he shouldn't get to go. No, I, I mean, I should. But he should. I look at him and say, if God will save him. I mean, glory. We, my confidence is, is boosted that God will forgive anybody that will turn to him. That's going to be the heart of the Christian that knows you didn't earn it either. When you see somebody else that's horrible and you see them make a turnaround, you, you'd be excited in your heart. Right. There shouldn't be a, a case where a believer sees someone turn to God and says, I don't think they I don't, not for them. We should. The believer's heart should be excited about anybody turning to Jesus. Anybody. It just shines light on the greatness of our God. Doesn't diminish. It really glorifies him that, look, that, that guy could be saved. Glory to God. God is so amazing. The blood of Christ reaches far. The blood of, the blood of Christ is able to cleanse all sin. So that should give me confidence when I'm out sharing the gospel. Have I ever met somebody so bad that God couldn't reach him? No. No. I found many times that it's those that are further out there that are they're more reachable. I find when I'm speaking to people that are kind of way out, 
I don't really hear a lot of, you know, well, you know, I think I should go to heaven or whatever. Those are people that know I, I need help. They're a little closer to reality. You find somebody that's doing okay in their sin. And a lot of times that's where you meet people that feel like, I think I'm okay without it. I'm getting along just fine. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he works his way through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul dove into the mysteries of faith in this letter to the church in Rome, drawing on a rich history found in the Old Testament. He looks back to the faith of Abraham, which was counted to him as righteousness. This is what he had to say about the patriarch in chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Since we get to participate in the righteousness that comes through faith, let's set our hearts and minds on the power of God to do everything he had promised. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us today. There's so much more that Paul gave us through the letter to the Romans, from deep theology to practical instructions on how to live. You won't want to miss a message, and we've made it easy for you to stay connected through Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. But we also have a free mobile app with access to our messages. To find out, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab to find a plethora of messages in our mobile app. While you're on the website, take a look around. We have a lot more available to you, including a daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll see you here next time, where we will again bring you a transforming word.